Don't let fear hold you back and take action and you will be very successful in whatever you put your mind. Something that's very important, no matter what you're in, is having a community of people that you can lean on. Focus on the people, the money will follow. It's very important to realize that we're all in this together. We're all a team. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as into retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. We are here in Mexico in Punta de Mita for the entire week, and we're attending the Multifamily Millionaire Mastermind. It's a Brad Summerk event. It's where there's probably 150 active real estate multifamily investors here. Most people are syndicators, but also passive investors as well. So it's an awesome place to go to get information from the horse's mouth. So we are doing Mics and Margaritas, where we sit down with folks from the conference and we talk about all things multifamily. Today, we're here with Bonnie and Carrie Staples from Staples Multifamily. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Brian. No problem. So before we get into it, we all went on a pretty cool excursion yesterday. I kind of want to just mention to people, it was called Chairs of Love. It's a Chairs of Love event. And this group, along with Brad Sumrock, have donated, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars to this. Yeah. Almost a million dollars at this point. Almost a million bucks. So it's an organization that donates wheelchairs to people in need in other countries that surprisingly don't have access to them. I mean, in the U.S., we're sort of used to, you can go to the hospital and you leave with a wheelchair. And that is not the case. So have you guys done an event like this before? So we actually were blessed enough to participate in the very first event that Brad participated with Chair of the Love, and that was in August of uh, 2017. I actually looked up the pictures the other day, and it's just a, a life-changing event. You know, when Carrie and I got into Ultimate uh, to Multifamily, our primary goal is to impact lives. You know, we've now been able to spread that love a little bit further with Chair of the Love organization. We're able to give back, uh, give wheelchairs to people that possibly never had a wheelchair before. They're poor countries. And it just changes not only the the recipient's life, but also the life of the family members that have been able to or had to carry them around from place to place throughout their lives. So it's an amazing event. So yes, we love this charity and this event and love being able to share it with the group this time. Yeah, I was amazed to see people coming in, you know, on crutches that really should have a wheelchair, people being carried in. Were you able to be part of a group that gave a chair yesterday and get the story of the person and their backstory? I mean, if you don't mind sharing it. There were so many of the new folks here. We just sort of helped, you know, facilitate that and make sure everybody was able to participate. But just being part of it and being able to see the joy in the recipient's heart and then also the people that are able to be the giver, you know, it's just it's just life changing. So no matter what part you play it's an important part and it was wonderful yeah loved it yeah like she said we didn't actually give a chair we more kind of helped 
orchestrated a little bit yesterday. But in the past, I could tell you a story. I mean, there was one that really resonated with me. It was a 21-year-old kid that, you know, had never had a wheelchair in his whole entire life. So his family couldn't hardly go out. They couldn't hardly go anywhere and definitely not take him because they had to carry him everywhere they went. So we gave him a chair. That was the first chair he ever had. And just the impact that made on their life. And then they turn around and start blessing me saying, hey, hopefully this God just blesses you so much and your fortune. And I'm like thinking, okay, I gave you a $150 chair, but it, it's more than just a $150 yeah. chair to them and what it's going to do for their life. Yeah. We're the two people that we had that we gave chairs to. The first was a guy who, I mean, he probably was in his fifties and he had one leg, he lost diabetes and some other conditions, I'm, I'm sure. And he lives alone and he hadn't had a wheelchair at all. He had been cruising around with cobble roads and living alone. He has no one to help him with rickety sort of crutches, basically. Yeah. And this was, I think, his first wheelchair, he basically said. And he kind of just had to sit at home. And the other was a lady who had a really interesting but also sad story. She was in California. She used to live in California. She was undocumented. And she worked at a factory, and she fell. And if you know some places that hire and employ undocumented people that are fine and they you know do workers comp and everything they're supposed to there's some that have a culture of if you get hurt go away because yeah. we don't want you on our record like we don't want you know reported in so they put these fears in oh if you go to the hospital you get deported and it gets spread in these communities and they believe it so she fell and hit her head and she just went home and she ended up having a stroke because she probably had a brain bleed and then still didn't go to get help but instead went home down to mexico to have her family care for her but the problem is once she got to Mexico, there is no safety net. There is no support system. So she got worse. So now she's stuck. She, she did have a wheelchair, but it was all rusty and didn't work well. So now she got a new one, but told her story. And the story was interesting. And just that the safety net that we have in our country and then other countries absolutely do not. So yeah, it was eye-opening for sure. You watch the video, but then you meet the people in person. And it's like, wow. And then you, you visit the town because what listeners can afterwards we were in the town and then they you know we walked through it and then down to a, a little hangout area i guess you would call um, where they served us dinner and they the fish that we were eating they had caught that day the, the town put this on which was pretty impressive the fishermen went out at six o'clock in the morning just to gather fish for our food yeah for the day yeah, yeah. i think it's important though for people to do that to go see what what it looks like and to see what it looks like to not have money but still could be happy i mean money's not all where all the happiness is right it's about you know, having faith spending time with your family relationships is, is ultimately where, where, where happiness is going to come from and you see these people there they, they may not have a lot and they may be you know need need some stuff and be disabled but they, a lot of them are still very very happy mm -hmm. at heart yeah yeah kind of always get that in mexico i feel like it's oh, yeah. you know, everybody come down here whether they're you know, on a lower socioeconomic level or they're doing well in Mexico. Everyone is just always happy. Mm -hmm. It's just a different culture. There's less of a, a grind culture and more mm -hmm. of just living the moment cultures. I honestly don't know your backstory. Okay. So I'm just curious. It seems like everyone in this industry came from a, a different career at one point. So I imagine you guys did too. Yeah. So I, I think something that's good about our backstory specifically right now is because of tech, right? You got so much tech layoff going on. And that's what my my backstory is and the kind of the story. So I think that might be good to cover our backstory because I think it'll resonate with a lot of people that 
maybe are getting laid off or whatnot through okay. the tech industry right now. So our backstory is where we came and how we finally got into multifamily. We started careers. I started a career in, in IT. I was there at IBM for 20 plus years. Uh, Bonnie has a background in uh, at Merrill Lynch doing financial uh, advising and helping clients and stocks and bonds and things. Well, well, uh, we started doing single family and we were doing, you know, we had four single family houses and we were like, man, this is going to take forever for us to, you know, finally be able to retire. And then what happened was I just got a raise, just got a bonus, but I was in the wrong place at the wrong time at IBM and they they laid me off. And uh, it was a very depressing time for me because I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? I did everything. I performed. And yet the company still just cut me like, you know, like just another server at the computer we don't need you anymore so long story short it was a very uh it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because i got a job before uh, my severance ran out and i, I was working at uh, mcafee and while we're doing that we go okay we got to do something else because we cannot rely on these corporations to control when i'm working when i'm not working we got to find a, a better way to go about this and that's when we found uh, Brad's group. And, and and the funny thing is I had just had to stay up all night doing a server software upgrade. So I was up all night and then, uh, and we were like, all right, let's go to this event. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I was just up all night. And she goes, well, we have a room. If you get tired, you can go up to the room. So we, we go into the room at this Brad's event. And as we're in there, I'm like writing notes, like, you know, oh, this is all the information I need to do what we're doing. So we, you know, obviously signed up to his program and joined in eight years, roughly nine years. We've uh, we've done 16 deals. We've had eight deals go full cycle. We're still managing eight deals and we've we've sold off all of our single family. So and we've both retired. I've retired from IBM and she's retired from Merrill Lynch yes. in, in that process. It is a process, right? So where I actually retired after about 18 months of doing multifamily when we bought our first deal, but I had not replaced my income at that time. However, what we decided is we'll take a step back because Carrie had gotten another job. And because I was in the financial industry, it was more advice for me to take a step away from Merrill Lynch because they will not let you do syndication while working at Merrill Lynch. So I stepped away from that, took a cut in pay. However, even though I took a cut in pay because I was now considered a real estate professional, the tax savings could be written off against Carrie's income. So that ended up working uh, well for us. And then by the time we were in the business for less than four years, we actually retired Carrie. And at that time, we had actually replaced both of our incomes at that time. And the, and the other thing I was going to say is that also allowed us, you know, as IBM laid me off and I had to switch companies, I was able to take my 401k, mm -hmm. roll that over, yeah. use that self-directed money to invest. The other thing I was going to point out is when I signed up, uh, we knew real estate was a, the way to go because, you know, 80% of the wealth in the United States is built off of or made off of real estate. So, and there's a number of ways of doing it. We just, we were going the single family route and we saw that doing apartments was, the scale was going to be much, much faster. So, but as I'm joining this program, like any other real estate program, right, I'm thinking, you know, you see all these real estate programs, you're like, oh, that's a scam. They can't do that, whatever, right? So I'm, I'm that was my first question. Is there enough deals? How am I going to do it? You know, you're worried about how, as opposed to just doing it and taking some action and following through it. And for us, it has worked very, very well. And I mean, our, it's changed our lives from where we were to where we're at today, for sure. That's amazing. So when you were at Merrill Lynch, were you advising clients or were you working in the corporate office? What was your role there? I'm curious how your mindset has transitioned from what, what you were offering 
Well, let's do the first question. Yeah. So, yeah. So I actually worked on a team. There was three of us, uh, Bill, Bonnie, and Bob. And so we were advisors. Um, So, yeah, we dealt with stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And our primary business was um, actually retirement accounts. So we sought out ExxonMobil employees that just retired, got a good uh, retirement, and then helped them, you know, manage those funds through and making sure, you know, the, the horrible statement and what you're really trying to do there is trying to make sure that the money outlives them, you know, and all of that is a great, you know, mission. We've learned through multifamily, it's so much bigger than that. You know, we're we're now not only able to outlive our money, but we're actually able to impact the lives of others because of financial freedom that we've gotten. And we have so much more to give back to everybody else and also impact the families that live in the community. So and now that uh, you're in real estate, and obviously you're looking at, you know, people that want to do solo 401ks and solo IRAs and things like that, What's your thoughts on the products when you were at Merrill Lynch? My feeling when I've had my financial advisors, I thought it was limited. It was somewhat crafted and what It's very limited there. I mean, to honestly, I never believed or even knew that us syndicating anything was even ever possible. You know, we always always thought that was for the big yeah, companies you see like it these done, big. But you don't know how they're yeah, doing it. Exactly. So it must be it must be some big corporation. It must be exactly. Sure. Exactly. Like must be. And then you realize, oh, that hotel is actually could very easily be owned by just a few people in exactly. the syndication. Exactly. And they don't they don't teach you that. They don't tell you that. It's sort of like a little secret. They don't want you to know that. You know, they want you to sell their products and and what's available through the stock market. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, on that. I mean, I, we used to drive by apartments and stuff and be like, "Man, that'd be great to own it." You know, what what institutional company owns that? And then when you <laughs> when you really learn how to do it and figure it out, you realize it's it's not that complicated. And uh and then I remember at one point cuz I was never really a big personally me a big stocks and bonds guy so I, I dabbled but i didn't really play in it, it, that much but uh, when me and bonnie got married because we're a blended family so we, we got m- married a little bit later in life they had a product i put it in there and i go okay fine i'll put i don't know like 100k i had i think and i put it in into that fund watched it for i didn't really pay that much attention to it. i was just kind of letting it go because i was like oh merrill lynch they, they got all these analysts and everybody that's going to tell me a good product when i got done after a year it was 0.003 and i was like I could have put that in the savings account and made more money than oh, and no risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really makes a difference. I mean, I have a family member who I think it was seven or ten years ago put all their money in supposedly an active, you know, when someone's watching, watching everything. And it ended up being in a lot of foreign investments, it turns out. And after I think it was seven or ten years, it hasn't done anything when I compare it to inflation. Like I basically told him, like, if you look at this compared to inflation, it's done nothing, mm-hmm. right, nothing. Right. Like, oh, I thought that they knew, you know, it's sure. like, it's like, they may have forgotten about you. I Like, do you talk to them? Do you? And it's, it was, took me a, a while to figure out what the, this person was even invested in because it was, it was all foreign based. And, you know, it, it was a U.S. company, but they were in, you know, emerging markets, outside markets. And. It's just it just shows you can't just hand your money off and then hope that someone else is going to care about it because they're not going to ever care about it as much as you do. Yeah. So you have to have some level of involvement, even if you do just want to stick to socks and bonds yeah. to yeah. what exactly is going on. And I have a, a good story about that that I tell on a, a different podcast, so I won't repeat it. But basically, if you I read my documents with my financial advisor and found out that they were guaranteeing that they were going to match the S and P five hundred. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. If, if I read into it. Wow. It was, it was well, interesting. But anyways. Yeah. So so with all that, too, you know, I was very diligent and very, you know, I invested the max I could in my 401k. 
and you know doing the things that they tell you to do, right? Doing the X and the 401k. Although my daddy many years ago had had told me, hey, buy real estate because they're not making any more of it. And that's what his comment, which, you know, I didn't, again, bought a house, but didn't really do anything else with that. One morning I wake up and my 401k had was cut in half. And, you know, that was out of nothing that I had done wrong, you know, but it's just because of the market. And so many times the market um, is a lot of emotion as well. You know, there's no there's no fundamentals behind why is the stock dropping or why is the stock going up? You know, you're just anyway. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. It goes up and down. The company could be doing better. Their earnings could come out and they look great. But for some reason, the emotions and volatility index, all these complicated things with the stock market drive it down. And you basically have to sell or sit along for the ride. Exactly. So that's a good transition to talking about the markets right now in multifamily. Obviously, things go up and down. Interest rates have gone up the fastest ever in history in this period of time. It affects multifamily too. And like on the show, I don't try to just gloss over like the challenges, but I think it's good to talk about them because really cool to talk about what the challenges our current dealers are having, but what is able to be done about it. Because unlike stocks, you basically just have to write it. You have no control. The people that are running it, that manage your account, they can just shift things around. But syndicators and deal sponsors are these are businesses, so they can do things. So getting ahead of the news, and you know, obviously, if you're an educated real estate investor and you're looking at syndications and passive investing, you should be knowing this stuff. What are current deals? Some current deals may be challenged challenged with with these interest rates, and what are their sort of strategies to to manage it? So I mean, obviously, the big challenge is is that rates have went up, and there's a lot of deals that did a bridge type loan on it, which means they're going to more than likely have a floating rate on on that. And as the rates float up, you know, obviously your debt, your mortgage payment is is going up, which is causing you not to have as much cash flow, or you could even be, you know, in, in a negative state. And there's going to, I feel like this year, there's going to be properties that are, that are in that uh, negative state. So, you know, whether the property is, you know, it's costing more than, than what it's bringing in. And in those cases, you have a couple of options, you know, you, you can reevaluate, maybe you should be pushing rents more, doing a refi to refi out of where you're at, depending on the state of the property, or maybe just a time to to sell because of where, where the market is, has taken it to. And maybe you're not going to hit your five-year projection, but you hit your two-year projection to roll out of that deal and to recapitalize and put that money in another deal that you can account for the current economic environment that we're in. Yes. And also if, um, you know, if they're paying distributions out to investors right now, even though you might have extra cash right now and you're not feeling that urgency yet, you know, it's strongly suggested to hold back on those distributions. And, you know, we've, we've held back on all our, all of our distributions or any kind of float right now, just because we may have to buy another rate cap and you want to have those funds in the bank to be able to take care of that. And what I also, you know, educate our investors on is I'd rather hold back from you today and not ask for it back tomorrow, you know, versus ask for it back tomorrow. And then plus right now with the current interest rates on money markets, I'm actually able to actually let their money actually work for them while it's sitting in our pockets. So we're in money markets right now that are paying 4% interest. And it's, you know, our investors will ultimately gain from that. But yeah, it's in our pocket in case we need it to do another rate cap 
in the future. So you just want to be very conservative with that, you know, pushing the funds out because you may need it. And there are some deals out there that are are not capitalized, that do not have the funds on the side uh, right now. And like on one, on two deals that we own, actually, even though we've bought a rate cap and they don't expire until uh, 2024, mid-2024, our lender is already requiring us to escrow for the next rate cap. You know, so we're having to put in funds for that. So just caution people if you're not having to, to, to escrow that yet, you know, it may come. So you want to have those funds on the side um, so you don't have to ask us for a capital call. And there are deals out there asking for capital calls. And, you know, as an investor, that's probably one of the, and as a syndicator, whether you're the, you know, the person running the deal or the person investing in the deal, the last thing you want to hear is capital call, you know. And yet, it's very important to to realize that we're all in this together. We're all a team. And, you know, one of the things that I explained to someone that was going through a capital call on another deal is, you know, if you've got a, you own a building and the roof blows off, you need funds to be able to put a new roof on. You don't just throw the building out. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've yeah. got it. You've got to help. And so that you can keep your product in good shape because the more it you know, it'll just deteriorate on you if you don't. So yeah, and just to clarify a little bit, a uh, capital call is when property needs more money injected into it, and you go back to your investors and ask them to inject more capital into the deal to keep it running. And and in that case, you know, it's a, it's a good point because that's all with certain assumptions in place that you think the the GP team, the team running the deal, is doing a good job. You believe in the story of the deal. But there was an economist that I listened to, and and that was his statement. He goes, and he's went back like thirty years on this. Research and said, you have a deal that has it in, uh, held a, an apartment complex for 10, 10, years. Years. Yeah, 10 years. It always performed. It always made money. If you sold before that, some of those may or may not have, but 10 year hold, they always made money. Yeah. That's what sort of cued my brain when I had heard that, that same statement. And if you think about it, these are businesses. Like I'm, I've owned businesses for 16 years. And as a business owner, I've had great years. And I've had some years where I the the money transfer went the other directions from the personal account into the business account to get through let's say you know we had really big projects and something got delayed and i had spent all this money to pay for it and had yet to be paid for it but i knew i would be paid for it so i had no problem putting my personal money into let's say make payroll or float us through a certain number of months until you know things came back up to speed and off we went the the bigger picture was it was still profitable me personally, when I think about if I had a capital call, I had been asked to put more money into an investment. It's not like I'm dumping more money into it and it's just being lit on fire and it's never going to come back. The goal is you're trying to ride a downturn in a wave that will come back out the other side. The worst thing, it's equivalent to selling your stocks when the stock market bottoms out. Absolutely. Right. It's exactly that. Yeah. And as long as you know the property long term will return to where you think it's going to be. And it's not a performance problem where, you know, the guys running the company or running the property or that team is just, you know, sinking the ship, then yep. you don't want to be dumping money into a sinking ship. Exactly. Right. But most of the deals out there, if they've asked you for money, it's typically they have good occupancy, their expenses seem to be in control. It's really just the unforeseen interest rate market, which we think is gonna gonna correct right. itself here pretty soon anyways. So yeah, that's that's definitely the hope. I mean, the, the last CPI in, inflation report didn't help us much, but still, I think we're get, we're getting close to you know probably two more raises. Hopefully, that's the you know it's all kind of um, 
forecasting there on what's really going to happen. But, but uh, I, I, you know, most believe by 2024, we're going to see things start to come down in a, and rates potentially even in dropping in 2024. And when that starts to happen, the market is just going to go on fire because there's going to be people jumping after deal after deal after deal. And so I personally believe now is the time to go find a deal because they're not going to move like they did. They're not going to keep moving it like where they were jumping 75 basis points. So I think you're going to find a lot of opportunity for people that do have to reposition and move out of some deals. And so it's about being active in the market and, and finding a deal that works and and run the numbers with and overcapitalize that deal. Make sure you have enough capital to ride through whatever the storm may be, uh, even though I feel like we're kind of at the tail end of it. Right. And on current deals, too, you know, uh, as far as, you know, concentrating on what we can control, right, because we don't have a lot of control over uh, the markets in that in that area. But, you know, paying attention to expenses, um, expenses right now have gotten a little bit out of control as far as just pricing. You know, just if you go to the store and buy a gallon of milk right now, you know, whatever you're buying at the grocery store, you can see the, the prices have um, inflated a lot. So across that, also expenses on the properties have increased, you know, so just keeping a close handle on that and also keeping those communications between you, if you have a third party property management company managing it, or if you're managing it yourself, you know, that you're having those conversations on the expenses and making sure that you're, number one, that the property management company knows that you're watching too. So it keeps them more focused on on expenses as well. That's one thing that we can uh, try to control. So what are opportunities looking like right now or coming down the the road. I've sort of heard a lot of people taking over loan assumptions and adding to them. Some of these properties are out there. And some, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that it's just timing. And they're like, well, this is time to exit regardless of what's. They're not being forced to exit. They're just met their business plan and they're they're moving on. The ones that are working and are penciling out, you hear some people at the event saying, oh, I can't get anything to pencil out. Can't get anything to pencil out right now. But then yet some are also purchasing and closing. Like, what's the difference? Yeah, well, the not penciling out, that's that's always the case, right? It's different reason it doesn't pencil out. Right now, it's the the where the the debt market is and things. But uh, there there is a slight gap in general, I would say, between what a seller wants and what a what a buyer's willing to pay. And I, you know, for me, I'm seeing usually like a ten percent somewhere in that range difference. But the, I think that gap's going to come whether the the debt market starts to improve or there's a little more more uh, pain in there. Uh, I just saw an article where, where Blackstone was, you know, having to turn one of their deals over. So, you know, as these rates stay at this high rate, things are going to have an impact on properties that are on a float rate that did not buy a rate cap. Those are going to have to do something. So you're going to see opportunity if these rates stay where they're at. And I feel like that's going to happen in the next couple of months. But the thing I would say is like any time now or, or any other time, you got to run your numbers, be comfortable with your numbers and stick with your numbers and not just think, oh, things are on sale and I should pay pay more or, or you know, because most of these people aren't going to sell at, you can't go in lowballing people. They're just not going to sell for that. There's, there's plenty of opportunity of good buyers that are going to want to you know, pick up good properties for a good price. What's your thought on the fundamentals of multifamily? I had a negative Nancy say, oh, no, it's peaked just like the housing market peaked. And, you know, it's going to be like this for the next 10 or 15 years. And, it would, you know, it, you shouldn't be in this market anymore and going forward. And from what I've seen, the fundamentals, the large macro fundamentals don't point to that. Do you agree or what's your thought on just in general that the 10 year outlook on multifamily? Oh, I think it's it's a great 
asset class. I mean, that's even part of the problem is consumer fundamentals are still so good. That's what's causing the inflation to stay up. So the fundamentals of what people are going to afford in rent is, and they're almost being forced to rent because of where the rates are, what the prices of houses are going. So the gap between a single family home and, and, and what it is to rent, you know, it's a pretty big gap there. So, uh, and then I cap rates have went up and then it, as you can buy at a discount and a higher cap right now, those caps are going to recompress. And as that happens, you're going to have a lot of value and a lot of equity in there. So in, in those properties. So for me, this is not the time to look away from this asset class. This is the time to be like rushing into this asset class, in my opinion. Occupancy still in the in the 90s and above 90, very stabilized. I'm seeing rents still go. I mean, th there's a lot of talk of rents coming down and then some market. So the key is you got to know your market in your pocket. It's not like it works everywhere and whatever. You got to understand the the uh, the demographic you're dealing with, the pocket you're dealing with, the growth you're dealing with, and all that. But if you buy in good areas, landlord friendly states with growth, people moving in, jobs moving in, the asset class is going to thrive. P people need a place to stay. They're building everywhere. I don't know. We're in Texas, and they're building everywhere, and yet still, those are several years out to be completed. You know, so us being in you know B and C class properties is a perfect place to help house people that are coming. And then we have so many people actually come into this area as well because we do have jobs and we do have opportunities here. So Yeah, and, and I think 2023, there was a lot of new construction on the books in a lot of areas. So you're going to see a bit of a vacancy increase probably for a short while, maybe in the A class. But then as as those fill up, there's not, I mean, that, that starts to drop down quite a bit. So 2024, those vacancies it should plummet. Occupancy should go up quite a bit in 2024. And again, that's kind of talking nationally as you know your pocket and know the area that you're in they may not have a lot of new construction so you may be high super high occupancy already so that's where you kind of need to know you know the area in the pocket that you're you're buying and investing in yeah and i saw obviously it was a national number a national graph right. but when you look at rental rates it's a pretty linear consistent mm -hmm. growth i mean there's some little blips where it kind of goes negative for a little bit and kind of comes back but it's pretty consistent and I imagine you know you guys you know been doing this a while, and most good syndicators will stress test their deals. It means they'll they'll put them through different scenarios, and one is what happens if occupancy or rents go down. So I mean that's a that's a good thing to kind of ask or question for a passive investor is to see if they've done that because there usually is a number of an occupancy where they know we can go all the way down to this number and still pay our bills, which is the goal. Just like any business, you want to make sure. You're not right in the line. If you're if you're buying in at 90 percent occupancy and you're you're going to start losing money at you know 89, that's probably a deal you'd make. That, and they're and they're banking on over oh, it's going to raise rents. It's like okay, that's that's a higher risk deal sure. than one that isn't. So it's an interesting question to ask. You know, you bring up a good point there. I think as a the LP or a passive investor in these deals, you should be educated yourself. Don't 100% count on, oh, the GP team knows what they're doing. You should invest with GP teams that know what they're doing, but you also should be comfortable with each and every deal that you're investing in, that you understand what that is, that you understand what their underwriting is, that you, so that you can make a very educated investment as opposed to just assuming it, it's all good. I mean, the way I look at things now is I look at the, the, the sponsorship team first, because that is first and foremost for me, and then second, the deal. But I do, because we we run deals, but we invest passively as well. So I look at both. But but if you're not looking at the underwriting, even though I may like the sponsorship team, I may not, I may feel like they're a little aggressive on that deal that I don't, I don't want to do. So it's important to understand what you're looking at as you're investing in these deals. So I would definitely say, make sure you're getting your 
yourself educated before you just, and that goes for any. I mean, if you look at the stocks and bonds, if we kind of go back there, most people are not very educated on that. They're just watching whatever and throwing their money at it. And the other thing that they, most people don't pay attention to is the expense that goes along with those mutual funds and that, that most people don't ever look at the expense ratio on those things. The manager of those makes most of the money a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like a small percentage, but then do the math out 10, 10 plus years. And it's like, they're chewing up a lot of your profit yeah. and it's going to them, but they're using your money to do it. I think the splits are pretty good with multifamily. If you look at how much the investors put in versus how much the team that does every bit of the work and takes a lot of risks, which I think is understated to passive investors yes. sometimes Yeah, that, yeah, they're running it and they get, you know, they get paid and rewarded if things go well, but they also sign their name on multi-million dollar debt and, you know, they're holding cash liquid to help, but just like a business owner would to help possibly buffer things if needed. So it's it's not, it's not just a gravy train that, uh, that almost seems like hedge funds are sometimes, but it's a business. That's how I see it. I see it as just another business that just happens to use real estate and a hard asset as their primary object they're not doing trucks and guys and service fleets they're doing a giant building with with renters that is the exciting thing about multifamily is it is a tangible asset right where the stock market like we talked about you know it could be an emotional up and down roller coaster and no reason why it went down but you've got a tangible asset mm -hmm. and overnight half of the building isn't going to be gone, right? Exactly. And so I'm, half of my 401k was gone and it never recovered. Now, since we've gone into different investing philosophies, we've made up for that, but it was pretty tough to lose half of your investment in, in one night. So we, we like the tangible assets where it's not going to just disappear. Quick backstory with that is I, I've had some of my best years in business and sold some businesses and had always been doing my own investing, but I was probably the middle ground. I, I was better than gambling, but not not knowledgeable enough to really know what's going on. And sometimes I knew what was going on with these companies I would invest with and it would still go down or mm -hmm. it would go up. And I didn't know why. And it was like some analyst comes out and says something and next thing you know, boom, it changes. Yeah, rumor. Um, or, yeah. So, but I had mm -hmm. done what I thought I was supposed to do and given money to a financial advisor and the market was up really high. And I was kind of like, I don't know, shouldn't we be kind of, you know, just this feels like frothy. Oh, no, no, get your money in, get your money in. It's always a good time to put your money in the stock market. And a month later, I lost 25% of my money <laughs> or almost did. Yeah, I, I think about t at 10 or 15, I was like, nope, I'm taking it back. Yeah, I'm done. Taking it back. I don't care. Um, that's funny. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. So in the 2023, what, what's, what's, a, what's a mindset thing you guys want to work on just personally as investors or, you know, syndicators, whether it's, it's a mindset or limiting belief. I know I had a previous guest that said urgency was theirs. Is there anything that we go to these conferences and a mindset focus? Is there anything that you guys think that is like, this is what I want to improve on? I think one that just stays with us all and whether it's investing in multifamily or other aspects of your life is just, you know, fear. We watch the news, fear keeps creeping in. And it's really about, you know, taking action and running forward and maybe a more, you know, when fear is setting in for a lot of people, like right now, they're kind of, oh, we're scared of the recession. We're scared that that's going to keep going. Interest rates are going to keep going. <clears throat> and, and it's about being smart and educated, but breaking through that fear and staying and moving forward and taking action. And when you do that, 
that's when you're going to see you flourish as opposed to letting that fear keep you back, keep you complacent, keep you stuck. I mean, when we, for, for me, I, I stayed at IBM way too long. I mean, it was a blessing that God moved me to say, hey, you need to go do something else because I would have been complacent. Just I'd probably still be sitting there behind the desk working, making that money because uh, it's just fearful to go out and do more. So it's about breaking through the fears in your life, I think, is the first mindset that we all have to break through and take action. Those are the two two keys. Don't let fear hold you back and take action and you will be very successful in whatever you put your mind to. Yeah, that's a good one. I like to take action. I mean, back in 2007, when I started my first business, I was listening to Tony Robbins CD probably back then or something I downloaded off of Napster. And that's the one thing is just take action. Just, just take that first step. You can always pivot. You can always adjust after you've taken that step. Mm -hmm. Um, I know some of the people and friends I'm talking to has to do with they have money in their retirement accounts and they keep just automatically sending it there. It's mm -hmm. like, just don't do all of it, but mm -hmm. get educated. Don't just blindly make a change, but why not? You know, you see real estate around you. Why not put it into something that's a little bigger than thinking single family? Or I have some people that, you know, they're doing well, they're making excessive income that they, you know, try and place and like, oh, I'm gonna go buy a rental. I'm gonna do this. But I'm so tired at my job. I just have to do all this work. It's like, you... A rental is another job. Right. Like, it's not solving your problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one thing that we learned is that, you know, the amount that you invest in a single family rental, you can invest <clears throat> into a, a multifamily and for a lot less work and a lot less opportunity for upside as well. Yeah, so, more opportunity and yeah, a lot less. You're yeah. not dealing with toilets and calls yeah, and trying to yeah. interview people or deal with the property manager that, you know, is not that professional. The property managers, the smaller single families are not the level that, the large buildings run. So and you have to deal with it. Yeah. Well, so. and you know, for us, when we started multifamily, we fought through that, took action. What we made last year will be 16 times what we would have made in a year working for our corporate jobs in one year yeah. by taking action. It would action. have taken 16 years to do our same income. We had to yeah. do our same income that we made just in one year last year. So that's just a testament to it's about taking action and not getting everything exactly perfect and think you have, oh, I got to get this and this and this and this. That's what usually happens. They they analyze everything and think they have to everything perfect before they can move. No, you got, you got to move and then, like you said, pivot and make some changes to make sure everything's there. But first step first is step. to take some steps towards where you want to go. Yeah, and everything doesn't happen overnight. You know, we've been doing this for soon to be nine years, you know, so, but it, I always tell people, if you just take some action steps, you take those steps and soon, you know, you just keep taking those steps and then, then soon you're going to look back and go, wow, look where I've come. Mm -hmm. I've come so far from where I was, where I started, you know, so don't, don't get discouraged with those little steps. Just you've got to keep taking those little steps to push yourself forward. The other thing, as far as mindset and things to, you know, keep focused on this year is, you know, just making sure that we're doing the right thing. This is not the time to take your eye off the ball right now. And I'll talk about operations, right? That's a lot of what I do with uh, our business, but it's not a time to take your eye off the ball and and just hand it over and, and think someone else is doing the job for you. You've got to keep monitoring them and keep doing the right thing and then communicate with your investors and letting them know, you know, what you're doing. And, you know, our investors are, are pretty comfortable with us. We send out, you know, monthly notifications of what's going on with the property and little tidbits of what's happening and little things that we may be changing or uh, pivoting because of the current market situation. So I think it's a good time to keep those communications open and just keep doing the right thing. You know, Kerry has a statement that he says, you know, if we keep doing the right thing, the money will follow. Don't follow the money. We follow the, we do 
follow doing the right steps, and then the money will follow. Yeah. You know, it's about so. focusing on the people. You focus on the people, the money will follow. And to her point, communicating, even if it's bad news, you have to communicate. Let everyone know. People understand it's an investment. Not everything goes exactly right, but you got to be open and honest with your investors or where you're at and what we're doing to fix it. You obviously need a plan and have a plan that on how things are going to correct, but it's over communicating is solves a lot of problems. That's really good advice. Yeah, I had several businesses, some of which were restaurants going through COVID. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about having to just take action, like we sat for a few weeks, okay, what do we do? And now it's like, no, we got to go, we got to do something we have to try and just looking getting as much advice as we could see what other people were trying and just we iterated every week, every week, we were taking that business and going, okay, how, what work? What's what isn't working? Mm -hmm. What can we do? What can we change? And we, we just we we're adamant on what can we control? What can we control? And we survived. I ended up selling those businesses for three times what they were worth before COVID because of that. And a lot of it, I really think, was because I was just forced to. I'm going to lose this business or we're going to just frank and fight, basically. Right, yeah. And it was, it, it, it was interesting. So the, I think the operators that do the same thing and don't just, oh, let's see. Well, I'm not, all the ducks aren't in the row, so I can't, I can't do anything. Man, by the time they get in the row, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're not ever going to be in a row. Like, you have yeah. to just take the best information you have at the time and act on it. And whether you're investing as well, it's like you want to sit in the stock market for the next five or 10 years and see how multifamily looks or put some money into it and see mm -hmm. see how it works and get educated, obviously. Right. And I think also that's something that's very important, no matter what you're in, is having a community of people that you can lean on and ask, what are they, what are you doing? Have you run against this? You know, don't, don't be out there, whatever you're in, don't be out there by yourself trying to rebuild the wheel, you know? Know, you know, you want to have people that you can lean on, that you can trust, that maybe have been through it or that you can collaborate with and come up with some good solutions. So I think that that's uh, helped us a lot as well. Iron sharpens iron. If you're working, you know, talk to other people that have been through it, maybe have already had that situation and have just collaborating is helpful. And, and something you mentioned, on, like on your restaurant th through COVID is even like now, I mean, what we're constantly doing, we're saying, okay, our plan, our business model might have been, hey, we're going to come in here and do this full upgrade, this going to cost eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000, but we're only getting this much rent. Now we're going, okay, can we, let, let, maybe we can cut back on that. Can we still get the rent? Maybe we can do a classic unit and don't have to do anything to get that percentage of rent because it's about saving the money on the expense side, but still giving a product that is really nice and really clean and really good to the tenant without pushing the rents through the roof on them because, you know, they're getting squeezed too as inflation is hit. So it's a constantly, even when you set up a business plan and you buy this, you're pivoting and you're reevaluating and you're adjusting what your business model and business plan is because what you thought was going to happen very rarely to almost never happens exactly that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. If people want to learn more about you, how can they get in contact with you? Social media, website? Yeah, the be best way is to go to our website, which is staplesmultifamily.com, S-T-A-P-L-E-S, multifamily.com. And there's a little button there you can push that says join our club or learn more and put your information and be glad to continue to show you. Plus, our website has a lot of information about what we've done and, and about us as well. And to learn about multifamily if you're yes. new to it. That's a good thing to get more comfortable absolutely. with it. Absolutely. You know. yeah, absolutely. And we're open to, you know, helping anybody, you know. And and if you have kids and you're already in real estate, get those kids into this real estate, you know. Seriously, I, I get so excited when I see young people coming in and, and really absorbing and wanting to be right in the middle of everything that's going on and learn and absorb. So Yeah, there's someone here, one of the one of the sponsors has a, a son or daughter, I think. I don't remember the exact age, but I think they're under 18 yes. and they're doing their first building. Oh, that, yeah. that was impressive. That's yeah. awesome. 
Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the, on the show. Hope you have the rest. You guys stay in a few more days before you go or? Yeah, we're, we're here till Tuesday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, enjoy your vacation. Well, it's been great to be yeah. here. Thank you so Thank much you. for thanks asking for us on. to come yeah. on here. Appreciate it.